0: Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
2: Hello and welcome to another Choral
0: Chihuahua episode on choral technique.
3: Bass low notes. Bass low notes.
0: Thank you, Johnny Sells. Um, I'm Robert Hollingworth. I teach music at the University of York and I run the vocal ensemble E Fagilini. As usual, I'm here in York with the founder and conductor of The 16, Harry Christophers, who's in Kent. Are you ready to talk about our subject today, Harry? Most certainly I am, Robert. Great. Also joining us from Sussex, conductor and singer in both The 16 and E Fagilini, Eamon Dugan. Eamon, at some point in today's episode, we have to deal with the title of this episode, which I suppose is Wither Chihuahua 2, not Wither Chihuahua 2, as I, as I saw on uh, on social media yesterday, um, don't want withering dogs, um, and the series title, Coral Chihuahua. Can you do that straight up? I, I can only take partial credit for this,
3: um, uh, and I'm going to hand the plaudits to the wonderful Mary King, um, because this is where I first came across this term, your inner chihuahua. And it's it's a sensation, really, although it's as much a state of mind as well. And it's about the it's about the internal energy that you need to bring when you're singing, because singing is such a such a physical activity. Um, and uh, if you you know the Chihuahua is a small yapper type dog, as Eddie Izzard might say, uh, and if you were to show it a biscuit or a dog lead, they get terribly excited and go, <laughs> just like our, our little jingle does. And it's that sense of of inner excitement that we need to bring to our singing. And so I find this uh, as, a, as an image when working particularly with amateur singers in order to energize and enliven their sound, that if they think about their inner chihuahua and show it a biscuit and that sense of excitement and, and the spin and the energy in the sound and that's it, it sort of brings that quality to it. And it, it just seems to work. It's an image that obviously strikes a chord with people and uh, and it can actually be transformational
0: to their sound. So I've used it for many years now. We're going to come back to that today. We're going to need to, but we're going to talk among other things about the one vocal pink elephant in the room jumping up and down in lycra underwear that we barely even mentioned last week, vibrato. But let's start with a track. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But let's start with a track, no information given up front, but really have a good listen to the singing itself. Eamon, just tell us what that was. That was
3: Ave Verum Corpus by an Italian composer, Vincenzo Bertoluzzi. Uh, He was born in Murano uh, and then went and worked uh, for some years uh, at the Polish court, uh, and that's where I discovered him, as it were, uh, in researching uh, repertoire for my series of Polish discs that I've recorded with the 16.
0: So that's you conducting the 16, and what I hear is a musical performance subtle with clearly excellent voices... I can't help noticing, though, because we've been trained to now, because it's become such a thing in choral performance of a certain type, that it had some vibrato in it. Harry, do you have a view on this? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I prefer to call it
4: warmth in the sound. I mean, a, a voices have to have a warmth and a colour to be expressive in my book. And, of course, vibrato is a is a Baroque expression, Um It's particularly for that. And uh, I think we just got far too used to um, making, particularly sopranos, you know, making them sound like boys. And uh, the boys' voice is so unique, um, but uh, female voices have so much more colour. And we need, to, uh, we need to
0: get that through in the music. Well, let's just get back to a couple of basics. Eamon, why did not you kick off? Just, just explain what vibrato is.
3: OK, so uh, in sort of simple terms, it's a slight variation of pitch, uh, which comes from the free movement or the oscillation of the vocal cords. So you're looking to have uh, a nice open throat and the optimum flow of the breath, so not too much, not too little, and a good closure or, or meeting of the vocal folds coming together. Does it exist in voices naturally? Well, I would say yes, because if if uh, if that's if you say that it's it comes from uh, it's a free oscillation of the vocal cords, then I would say yes, it is there. Um, you might wonder why there is such a wide variety of, of types of vibrato in different types of singing, different styles. If you compare it with, I don't know, let's say folk singing or West End singing, um, there are lots of different elements and why do classical singers tend to sing with with quite a lot of vibrato it gets quite technical so i'm just going to try and put wrap this up in in, in a quick uh, a quick explanation so classical singers tend to have more vibrato in their sound um because they sing with uh, a tilted larynx um now that might be a sort of term that people haven't come across before but tilting your larynx is something that you know classical singers will will have will have certainly heard um Your vocal folds, your vocal cords, have got a loose cover over them. The cords are thicker when the larynx is not tilted, but when you do tilt it, they stretch, um, and uh, this allows the cover to move more freely, and it's that movement uh, which is the vibrato that that you hear. So if classical singers are singing with a tilted larynx, that's why that vibrato is there more consistently.
0: And do we hear, is, is the vibrato just something that's come in as a style or is it is it helping us achieve more resonance? I mean, if you're singing over a, a Mozart orchestra or a Puccini orchestra, do you need more of it than you would if you were singing in a choir? Well, I think it comes about sort of naturally. Uh,
3: you know, if you're trying to sing above uh, a big orchestra, then you need more of this uh, quality in the sound, what the Italians call the squilo, uh, and you need to get the sound into the what they call the singer's formant, uh, which is the sound um resonating between uh two and four kilohertz. Again, this sounds quite technical, but this is this is a frequency at which um the human ear hears best apparently, and and that's what gives you this this sense of projection. And in order to achieve that, you need to tilt the larynx and therefore there is more vibrato.
0: Now we should should say straight out that some singers um, in, in our world of professional choral music and amateur choral music that we work in sing with vibrato and some don't um, but I wonder whether it's worth just summing up a few thoughts which I think we three would would agree on and listeners whatever their taste in this and taste is an enormous part of it uh, will recognize um, that most professional singers in the choral and consort world would naturally sing with a degree of vibrato if it was left to them Do we do we agree on that Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I mean, they'll turn it off if required, but the singers you hear in groups like ours and the Scholars and Tenebrae, two groups known for their straightness of sound, uh, would sing with vibrato if if they were singing just, you know, practising the part on on their own. And this is not because they've trained to sing Puccini or 19th century repertoire, is it, Eamon?
3: Well, not necessarily. Uh, I think there's, just to go back, to rewind slightly, Everything that I've said about vibrato so far is sort of on the understanding that everything is is working as it should. Of course, we're all anatomically different. Everyone is everyone is unique uh, and people will be able to, you know, tilt their larynx to different degrees. So if, if someone listening to this thinking, well, hang on, I can't you know, I don't sing with any vibrato that might be because their larynx doesn't tilt very much. Maybe I'm getting too technical again, or it could be that they're doing other things uh, which are getting in the way of the, of the freedom of the movement. So, you know, vibratos will sound different for, for many different reasons. It could be that, you know, anatomical difference or it could be technical things that are going on. I think nowadays, you know, consort or ensemble singers, we need to be uh, very flexible in terms of the repertoire that we can sing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we've got to we've got to sing a wide range of repertoire. You might be singing Bird one day, then Brahms, and then and then Berio the next. And in order to be able to sing all those different styles of music, you've got to have all those tools,
0: you know, in your bag. Let's hear a bit a track, another sixteen track, or a, a mix of them. Um, Harry, perhaps you could just uh, tell us what we're going to listen to. But this is, or this is one singer we're focusing on here who's singing in two very different ways.
4: So this is Julie Cooper singing the uh, fifth movement of the Brahms Requiem, um, which in a version for uh, four hands on one piano. Uh, and just listen to the warmth of sound she creates here. So full of expression, such warmth in the sound um, in English, that is, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice. Um, really expressive singing, f- as I said, full of emotion. Um, now, Eamon, we're going to hear something slightly different.
3: Yes, here's the same singer, Julie Cooper, uh, joined by her colleagues Grace Davidson, Charlotte Mobson, Kirsty Hopkins, uh, singing one of the verse sections in Shepard's Media Vita. Uh, and listen to the, the different quality of the sound here uh, and the technical mastery and control that that, that that shows.
0: And just so we clear, this is 16th century music now, so 300 years earlier.
4: Absolutely beautiful in its its own way and uh, just a a very different style of singing, yes, but also just a very different sound. But it's still got that warmth. Um, Okay, Julie was going up to a top A in the the Brahms and here they only go up to a top G. But there is a a subtle warmth there.
0: I I just want to get back to this whole issue of taste, because if we go back to, uh, there was a, a big piece of research in the 1960s of American choral conductors. Uh, And one of the things it did was listed 10 things that it regarded as the most important in choral sound. And I think vibrato came about ninth in the list. It it really wasn't regarded. Um, I think if you did that same survey again today, it would be without question in the top three. Uh, And uh, it's something that happens even before choirs happen in the auditioning process. It has become normal to look for voices Beautiful Voices Without Vibrato. Now, th- I want to get onto the business of how this has happened, um, but I also want to just to ask Eamon to talk about um, why vibrato is part of a healthy-sounding voice.
3: It's about freedom. It's about the voice being free to move uh, in a natural fashion. Uh, and I think, I, th- I think this is, in, in a sense, this is part of my issue with it, when I've been asked to sing with straight tone or, or without vibrato, um, I don't have, I don't mind doing that at all uh, if there's a specific purpose for it. So let's say if the music is particularly dissonant and you need to hear the harmony cleanly, uh, you know, vibrato can, can obscure uh, dissonant harmony and you need to be able to hear that, hear that cleanly, then you can absolutely see why. But as, as a blanket approach, um, it's not something that I've ever found particularly easy to do, uh, and so I think that you know that has coloured my personal taste on on this approach to you know to singing with straight sound because it doesn't feel very natural to me. No, but also I think we've also got to remember when we've been talking so far
4: about vibrato. I think we're talking about the ideal. You want to hear in a voice, and of course there are bad vibratos. There's the big vibrato, which really distorts. You have no idea what note the singer is singing when it's just got too, too wide and too, too big. Then you've also got the very fast vibrato, which we see a lot in our young singers. When we're uh, with Genesis 16, when we're uh, working with our students there, we hear a tight vibrato. That and those extremes, they're both bad habits. And the ideal vibrato is that one of warmth, where a singer is in total control of their voice and their instrument. And, you know, you can think of the great Jessie Norman, how she could carry over a massive orchestra singing Strauss. And then when she was singing in, in Tippett's Child of Our Time, um, some of the spirituals, the, 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 the pureness of the sound was so excessively beautiful. Yes.
0: Yes, and that is something that, you know, Susan Young here at University of York, she would absolutely say uh, that a good voice singing 19th century should be able to straighten out the tone for a colour. I suppose what we're getting back to is the business of, because, uh, you know, Jesse Norman obviously not singing in choirs, but to what extent do we have any evidence that in 16th century they didn't sing with vibrato? That this is talked about in academic circles uh, and it's always very, very nebulous. There are terms used Um, And they seem to be used as as a term of ornamentation. But, I mean, Monteverdi doesn't even talk about vibrato. There's lots of letters from Monteverdi. He talks about text. Goodness me, he talks about Mm. whether a singer can be heard, uh, their, their text can be heard, and whether their voice is loud enough to sing in the church or only suitable for chamber. But he doesn't talk about vibrato. And I'd just like to go back to where this where this fixation with choral vibrato has come from, and, and let's just say that you know we do accept that it is a taste thing here, and people, I suppose, just to pick up on where I was before, I was talking about that singers, if left to their own devices, would like it's part of their natural, free-flowing voice. Um, and a lot of listeners clearly would like it not to be there for a certain type of singing uh, in resonant buildings, certainly where the building is doing a certain amount of the work for you, as we heard Julie singing in that uh, shepherd there. But Harry, you were, you, you were there back in the <laughs> 70s. Uh, I was as a, as a little boy. Um, where does it all come from, this no vibrato thing?
4: Well I suppose a lot of it came from the the great choral tradition of the of the boys choirs and you know the likes of King's Cambridge with this incredible purity of sound and when anybody was singing sixteenth Renaissance re- music particularly sacred music, they wanted that purity and purity then got to be straight. You've got to sing in a very straight sound. So I'm sort of remembering very early days of the Clarks of Oxford. Um, we had a programme with Sally earlier on talking about that. But mm. I'm not sure whether Woolston ever mentioned the words straight. I mean, he probably did, but th- 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 those are the voices he wanted. And he certainly didn't want any bloom on the sound, particularly in the upper voices. And it was that concentration on the upper voices, which, which sort of um, uh, I was very worried about. But then, you know, when you hear... Boys choirs you contrast, say, Westminster Cathedral under George Malcolm, you've got a very healthy sound. There is a vibrato that's going on there. Oh yes. Not just there's not, it's not just an age a Catholic sound. There is there is a warmth. And I can go back to my chorister days at Canterbury. We had two choristers in particular who sang solos brilliantly, and they sounded female, um and female and full of warmth in the sound. So it's been a, it's been something that, uh, as I said before, has developed out this early music movement, and I firmly believe it's been as a result of the, you know, the instrumental side, you know, wanting string players mm-hmm. played with no vibrato at all. You don't want to see that, uh, that left hand moving in any way. But of course now we see baroque orchestras and we see finger vibrato a lot of the time, and again that is what we want. In our singers, so I think we're sort of coming full circle. But there are still many choirs out there that want that incredibly straight sound. Yes, personally I don't like it, but I can see why people do.
0: We we do get it in uh, in resonant buildings. We understand that because anything in a resonant building is magnified. So any pitch fluctuation is is picked up. Um, I suppose you know back in the 60s you had the cathedral choirs and the chapel choirs, and then you had. Uh, professional choirs singing in concert halls uh, and in opera choruses, uh, but let's leave the opera side of it. Uh, again, you know, if you think about a choir, John Aldis Choir back in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. or um, they they would have been singing with the professional singers that had come up through a conservatoire sort of way, and and the the shock of hearing a group like the Tallis Scholars, if you didn't normally go to cathedrals, was that there was this uh, very pure sounding thing. And uh, the the singers who sing well in those choirs are just singing well. I think that's that's the the point that you know Eamon was sort of making early on. And uh, just asking everyone to start with this issue of uh, no vibrato is 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 the wrong place to start. Look, let's hear another track, and then we can get on to maybe um, um, with Eamon, some of the, some of the alternatives, some of the other things that conductors could be thinking about. Let's hear a little bit of Victoria. We heard uh, one of the tenebrae sponsors. Uh, with the 16 last week. This is one sung by Fagginini from our Leonardo Shaping the Invisible Disc. Just four singers, Claire Wilkinson, Nicholas Mulroy, Greg Skidmore and Charles Gibbs. And ask yourself whether vibrato is really the issue here. Well, there are a couple of issues coming out of that. Certainly, no direction was given to the singers there, to sing with or without vibrato. They simply used their musical brains, uh, as Eamon was saying, to, at moments of dissonance to straighten out the sound so that the so that the, those colours were brought through. Um, but at the end there, you hear this breath-like quality at those words. Better for him had he never been exactly. born, and and shouldn't we be Obsessing more about all these other things than starting with vibrato all the time. Dead right,
4: dead right. You've got four very classy singers there. I mean, and all singing in their own way, um, all listening to each other. Um, you know, Nicholas Maroy, You know, it's, it's, it's a gorgeous tone there. And you, could, you, you know, when he suddenly wants to be expressive, the others may, you know, Charles at the bottom bass you know, there wants to be slightly more centered into the sound. And but the whole. The quartet is really coming together as one, but individual, and that for me is what we're after all the time. What I what I find with this uh, senza vibrato, this sing in a very straight sound way, is that this ultimately, to me, the sound becomes sexless. It's it becomes um, a, a very uh, lackluster performance. Um, it doesn't. It just doesn't do it for me. Whereas that you know this does, and I, I just
3: love it. It's about an emotional response to the music as well, isn't it? You can see, I mean, you've got, as Harry says, you've got four such intelligent singers there, and all of them instinctively straightening the sound on the word *tradit* to 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 paint the word, to colour it, so that mm. you know it's it's about you know all of these all of these options, and what the the breathy sound that you referred to at the end, Robert. You know that's a colour. It's an effect, and it's used you know to, to brilliant effect at that point um you know it doesn't total control that it, as well it, yeah, total control. And, yeah. and we've got all of these colors at, at our disposal hopefully as singers you know and we should you know we should be using them so absolutely there's a time and a place for straight tone and 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 let's use it and enjoy it but does it have to be there all the time i'm not sure
2: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
3: slash host.
0: Well, Eamon, you have you, um, you recently just finished a, a absolutely brilliant series with The 16 about vocal tips, Eamon's top tips, which people can find on The 16's websites, also on YouTube, um, which I found very helpful Helpful, and I sent it to my choir here at University of York. Um, because It just seems that we obsess with vibrato, which is the noise that the music makes, but not the music making itself. And and you deal with some technical issues that are much more important about whether a voice is locked. Um, Perhaps you could just say something about other issues that you regard as as important.
3: I'd focus on what I call my four non-negotiables of good, healthy singing. That's keeping the breath free and flowing, uh, making sure the jaw is nice and relaxed, ensuring the tongue is in its best position and focusing on, on raising the soft palate and keeping it raised. Rather than repeat myself, perhaps people could have a look at the videos, for better or worse, called Eamon's Top Tips, on the 16s YouTube channel where I'm able to show what I mean uh, with some singers actually in the room. These are all positive things that you can work on. If you go into a choir and say, you know, the first thing you say to them is, right, I'd like you to sing without any vibrato, that's probably going to make people tense, you know so you're from by my reckoning you're already putting uh, an obstacle in the way because it's going to create tension in bodies if people think well i you know if i if i can't sing with vibrato i've got to keep the sound absolutely straight you automatically tense up and tighten certain muscles that you don't want to and then as harry says for me the personality in the sound uh, is reduced um and this emotional connection uh that that is so important in, you know, in the last technique episode, we were talking about text, understanding of text and, and how important it is for the, for the singers to really be inside it. I think in order to sing your best, you need to have an emotional connection. I think that's, I think it's certainly Mm. true to say Mm. that, you know, that one's best singing comes uh, when there is this strong sense of, of, of being absolutely at the core of the matter of what it is that you're singing about now it's not to say that you can't sing really well if that isn't the case um and you know i, I would imagine you know with west end singers you know they're doing eight eight shows a eight shows a week mm-hmm. um you know it's very hard to always find yourself in that zone but how you know if can you achieve that sense of emotional connection if you're thinking, right, well, I can't possibly allow any vibrato into the sound and everything gets very tight and tense. And, you know, people talk about with good singing that it needs to be open. The breath needs to flow, that there needs to be freedom and relaxation. And and I just worry that with this with this straight tone has been a, a blanket rule that, that we're counteracting some of that. I think you're absolutely
4: right. I mean, I think you know, expression and putting for singers to put the whole heart and body into what they're doing, uh, that's the first and foremost thing that has to be there. And that will result, if you've got a group like the 16 Singing Shepherds, they will adapt to that style. If they're singing the Brahms Requiem, there'll be a much more fullness of a body of sound, but, but the energy that's been created by them all is phenomenal. I mean, I remember some a couple of years ago a... a, a um, a Christmas program we did where I remember all six sopranos had a, had a solo during during the course of the concert and all six sopranos made a completely different sound, had a different unique quality, bloom to the voice and people were actually staggered that when they all sang as one, it sounded as one and that's because they're thinking together.
0: Yes, I mean I, I do understand why we get our, our knickers in a twist about it but sometimes I think we look the wrong way down the, the telescope. Um, I was rehearsing with an enlarged Fagiolini sometimes and the the comment I had from outside was uh, sounds like a lot of people showing off their singing lessons and I was thinking no this is our first day looking at a complex piece we need to meet the piece first and if I don't allow the singers to sing in a technically comfortable way then they end up tired at the end of the first day and they end up not being able to concentrate on the piece let's meet the piece first and then ask for for subtlety, I mean, it's, it's about the musicianship, isn't it?
4: I was actually watching a documentary on Bernstein uh, last night and, uh, of course, with Mahler. And, of course, this was the Vienna Philharmonic and he was wanting them to play with much, much more vibrato, longer bows, and the sound was phenomenal. But actually, ultimately, what he was asking for them to do was just totally indulge in the music and get into it and, you know, th- their hearts and souls were being there and the result was phenomenal. I've heard a recording of Bernstein doing Haydn Creation, where there's a there's a phenomenal purity to the sound of the chorus and all the soloists, but it's 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 full of emotion, mm-hmm. subtle vibrato there. Great singers, knowing, knowing when to turn it on, when to turn it off. That's the that's that's the that's the trick.
0: And goodness, don't we rely on our singers to be flexible and to do all these things? You talked about the surprise being a different noise or the, the four we just heard in the in the Fagiolini track as directors. We we really rely on them. Um, I want to throw two. Sorry, Eamon, come in. Yeah, I just
3: one thing to add to this, um, you know, for any uh, non-professional singers listening to this and thinking, well, you know, how do I how do I tap into that that sort of emotional core? If if it's something that you find difficult, your inner chihuahua can help you with this. That sense of you know, I was talking about the excitement. Thank you, precisely. That. <laughs> um, you know that's you know that sounds like an excited, upbeat, happy. But of course, it's so close to you know the emotional sob as well. So that sense of excitement and exploring that it it. It opens up uh, sort of doors inside you. So I think, you know, if you're listening and thinking, well, you know, that's all very well for a professional singer to say that. But how can I do it? Explore the avenues that your
0: inner chihuahua can take you down. Very nice. I I think we've got to accept that there's a huge thing about taste here. Um, and uh, I wonder whether people have gone to early music, specifically early choral music, because that is a thing that they like. And that's absolutely fine and part of our choices every day. Um, I go back to this thing that singers probably like it less than the listeners do. But it's absolutely fine that that's a part of it, as long as we recognise that it's taste. And I would say one thing to you, if you were there in the 16th century, you're in 1550, and you're in London and you're listening to choirs, the idea that two choirs at the other ends of london would sound the same um is of course you know crazy the idea that a choir in london and then a choir down at canterbury would be the same or across in ghent or then on to paris or out to um uh, you know prague and then down to lisbon that they would all produce this sound i mean absolute nonsense some of them would have had instruments even shawms playing along and the idea that there was one way of doing something and that this non-vibrato sound uh i mean there there are extraordinary sounds of uh of modern folk song singers and uh people doing russian chant um uh that have nothing to do with this world that that we've created for ourselves now i i do love this world i should should just say but mm-hmm. the idea that there was one way of doing it i think we should probably get rid of
4: yeah dead right
0: Agreed. Look, let's finish Let's finish with um, a little bit of Leighton. Uh, please send all your correspondence to uh, Eamon Dugan, okay, the 16 <laughs> uh, Don't say anything to me. Um, we're just going to finish with um, a bit of Leighton, Leighton. Drop, drop, slow tears, which we all love. Uh, this is a recording uh, with Fagiolini that we did in a very, very nasty dry room and then added resonance to, which is something that happens. It's never a great choice, but on the other hand, it means you're not getting five interruptions every minute with cars going past. And at the top of the texture is Angela Hicks and Elspeth uh, Piggott, and they just produce this very, very easy sound. Now, I, I place, I posit to you, Your Honor, that uh, this little bit of vibrato here isn't the current. View on how you would do this, but with two of them, two of them on this part, I just think it's a very free, easy sound. I know Elspeth's voice better than I know Angie's, um, and it just sounds pretty healthy to me. Oh. Chihuahua is brought to you by E. Fagellini and The Sixteen, and produced by Perseus, The Sixteen, and Polyphonic Films. It's supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. This episode was sponsored by Giuliana Preti and Silvia Reseghetti. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please contact us through either ensemble.
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either
1: via choralchihuahua.com. Thanks.